When I was a kid, I used to have this recurring dream about waiting in line to get into heaven. There were two things that would always happen in the stream. One, there were always handbells playing on the side as you waited in line to get into heaven. You had to have something to listen to. And number two, this is super weird, I always used to be eating a craft single piece of cheese. The weird thing is, I kind of hated eating craft singles and cheese, but for some reason, waiting in line in heaven, I had a piece of cheese, the handbells were playing, and you were waiting in line to get up and see if your name was on the list. And if it wasn't, the cloud would just disappear and pew, and then the next person would get up there. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, except that the handbells were playing, and it reminded me of that. My name's Nick. I'm the youth pastor here, and I love... Those weirdos right over there. All right? I love what I do. I love that my job most of the time is just to hang out with teenagers. It's really kind of cool. You guys don't realize how awesome my job is because if you did, most of you would be in line trying to steal it from me because it is the coolest job on the planet. I love doing what I get to do. And my favorite part of what I get to do is teaching. I love to teach. I don't know if it was because nobody ever listened to me when I was a kid. And when I get up here, you're all forced to listen to me because there's nothing else going on, so you have to look at me. But I just love teaching. I love it so much. And um, I know that somebody else does too, and it's, it's Doug, our pastor. He loves to teach. We were just having a conversation the other day where he was talking about, you know, in the long term when he does finally retire, and he's just said he, the thing he's most worried about is not being able to preach. And there was just something about when he said that that I was like, wow, that's scary. I get that. I would hate that thought. I would be terrified of that idea. And so I know he's not here, but just to thank Doug for letting me uh, stand up here and teach you guys because I know he, he loves doing what he gets to do, and that's really cool. I grew up in church my whole life, pretty much from the day I was born. I think I was born on a Saturday, and my mom probably brought me to church on Sunday. We went to church. We were a church family. That's what we did. And it was also kind of hard sometimes because my dad was in the Air Force, and so we moved around to a lot of weird places. Like trying to find a good, solid church in the Philippines was awkward. Um, But we found it, and it was one of the churches I remember most. It was where I first accepted Christ. My parents were my Sunday school teachers and so on. Like I, I was just always... In church, I learned church language. You know, I learned words like sanctification at seven, and nobody else knew what that meant, but I knew what it meant because they talked about it all the time in the place where I was most of the time. I was a church kid. And there's pros and cons to this, right? I mean, you got your other people that maybe, like, accept Christ when they're, like, 20 and in college and never been to church and say they don't know all of the rituals and all the traditions, and they're just these pure believers that are just trying to please God, and that's crazy, and that's awesome, and that's, sometimes we might be a little jealous of that. We, we sometimes hear the, the, the story, like, I was saved out of drug addiction and prostitution, and we're like, man, I wish I was too. <laughs> that would be awesome, but no, I, I was just born in church. I always knew Jesus. I know everything about him. Yay. We get weird about it, right? But the truth, there are pros and cons. I mean, yeah, we, those that are church kids, we grew up knowing Jesus. We know almost everything there is to know about him. We know all the stories. We've heard everything several times. That's why I love the story of Zacchaeus, because most of us know the song. 
so well. Like we know the story of Zacchaeus. Um, and the cons, you know, sometimes we can get addicted to the traditions. We can get addicted to the ritual and the, the Christianese that we like to speak. And it comes, becomes kind of harder to speak to those that don't know it. You know, if you go up to someone that's never heard about Jesus and you say, you should be on the path to sanctification, they're going to ask you to walk away slowly. Because they don't know what that means and it sounds weird. Right? So there's pros and cons and we're going to get into that. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this story of Zacchaeus. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and go ahead and tell you where I'm going to try to get you. This is sort of the the end right here, but I'm going to tell it to you early. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. That's where we're going to go today. So in the beginning of the story, we're actually seeing Jesus go through Jericho, and that's where Zacchaeus lives. And that's actually kind of relevant because Jericho was a very important city in this culture. It was actually where the Judean kings had their winter palaces which is you know, pretty sweet for them. One of them was actually 108 acres of property that they would come and they would go to in the winter. And so one of the ways they paid for those properties, one of the many ways, was taxes. And so if you were a tax collector in Jericho, you made some sweet money. You had a pretty good deal going on. And like Sarah said, the way that tax collectors made their money was not simply through just collecting the taxes, but collecting just a little bit extra and keeping it for their hard work of showing up to your business and saying, give me money. That's how they made money. And Zacchaeus was actually a chief tax collector. All right, a chief. Does anyone here sell or know about people that sell LuLaRoe? <laughs> His situation was actually quite similar. You know, he was like a mentor level salesman of tax collecting. You know, the mentor, they just have a bunch of people under them that goes out and does everything, and they just sort of sit back and collect their checks. That's sort of what Zacchaeus was. He just had a bunch of people below him that he sent out, and he just sat back and took all the money. It was a pretty sweet deal, all right? And now, the problem was, you know, there's a pro and con. He's got a sweet house. He's got everything. He's got several donkeys, probably a couple horses. He's got a sweet life, but everybody hates him, especially because he's a Jew. He's a Jewish tax collector who gives money to the Romans. The Romans are the ones that came and subjugated them and brought them under their, their empire and are no longer allowing them to be themselves, but Zacchaeus is giving money from them to them, and so that's not cool. Nobody likes him. And especially being a Jew, and this is actually why at the end of the story you heard Zacchaeus, Jesus actually says, uh, reminds the people that he is actually a son of Abraham and he deserves to be treated differently, and that's why he mentions that. So, that's sort of our story, and we'll look at it a little closer here in just a second. But I want to go backwards a few pages and talk about this little section in Luke. These two chapters, 18 and 19, are sort of centering around stories where Jesus is revealing the true cost of being a disciple. In the beginning of 18, we see the story of the persistent widow where he says, your single prayers aren't going to do it. You need to be persistent in your prayers. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. And then you see the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. And you see the Pharisee saying, dear God, thank you that I'm not like that dude. Thank you that I, I, that I give all my tithe. And thank you that I dress well. And thank you that I know your word. And the tax collector says, Dear God, why am I such a fool? What is wrong with me? I'm not worthy of you. And Jesus says, pray like that dude. He teaches us humility. And then we see him bringing the children to him and everybody's saying, yo, get the, ch- the kids out of here. And he's like, no, no, no. If you have faith like these kids, that's how you get into my kingdom. We need to have a childlike faith. Then we see the story of the rich young ruler who goes up to Jesus and says, hey, look, I've done all these things. I'm good, right? He's like, no, 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 no. Give me everything you got and then you'll be good. And he walks away. 
because he had an identity problem. His identity was his stuff. His identity was the prestige that came with that stuff, and so he couldn't do it. God wants everything. Nothing can be held back. Then we see him healing a blind beggar. This dude just keeps yelling and yelling, and everyone's shushing him, and he finally, Jesus is like, you know what, let's do this. And he goes over, and he heals him, and we learn that faith, in spite of shushing, wins out. And then finally we get to Zacchaeus. So let's look here pretty closely at this story. Zacchaeus is just a short chief tax collector that nobody really likes, but that doesn't matter to him at this moment. What matters to him most is that somebody who could possibly change his situation is showing up. Somebody that he's got some hope that could make things better is showing up. Because he's got an addiction, right? He's obviously addicted to what he's doing. He's addicted to this money. He's addicted to this life. Otherwise, he would just stop. But he's gathered too much for himself. He can't just walk away from it. So he sees this Jesus, this guy who's been going around. He's so countercultural. He's so crazy. He's so weird. He does things that nobody expects. I need to go talk to this guy. So he shows up and he realizes he can't see. So he fixes the problem. He climbs a tree. And he gets to where he can actually see what he did. He, you know, he kind of made a fool of himself just so he could see this Jesus. And he sees him. Jesus calls out to him. I'm coming to your house. He shows up. He hasn't said a word. He hasn't said, all right, Zacchaeus, let's open your accounting books. Let's talk about this. He doesn't say a word. He just sits down, eats his hummus, and Zacchaeus says, I'm going to stop. I'm going to give everything away. I'm going to give it way beyond what I'm supposed to do. I'm so sorry. This is over. You're here now, and I'm done. And Jesus is like, cool. What else? Let's, let's talk about something else now. Like, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. And Zacchaeus goes way beyond. If you contrast the story of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, they're vastly opposites, right? Jesus tells the rich young ruler, give everything away, and he walks away. Jesus just shows up at Zacchaeus' house, and he gives everything away. Completely different stories. Now, in this story, you can kind of, I see three types of people. I see church folk. I see the lost people. And I see disciples of Christ in this story. Because in this story, too, we hear the Pharisees mumbling and grumbling that he would go to Zacchaeus' house because they're probably jealous because they've done everything they're supposed to do to get Jesus' attention, and he still doesn't want to give them the time of day. These, these church folk in the story are our modern-day Pharisees. Their greatest accomplishment is convincing themselves that they're good enough, that they're not as bad as some others, and that fact makes them deserving of God's grace. Because they're better than these people, because at least they don't do this, that makes them deserving of what God has for them. That's what these Pharisees believed, that they, they wore all the right things, they acted the right way, they went to all the right schooling, they have all the right education, they behave all the right way, they fast on the right times, they give all the right stuff, so Jesus should pay attention to us. But Jesus kept going to the lost ones. He kept going to the ones that needed him. These people didn't think they needed him. They just wanted him. They didn't think they needed what Jesus had. They just wanted the attention and the prestige that came with attention from Jesus. That's what they wanted. And so Jesus walked away from that. See, the, the church folk, they agree. This is the difference. They agree with most of the Bible, but you see very little of it in their lives. You see very little of it. And then you have the lost ones, the ones that are sort of shunned. By church folk, they're ignored, they're forgotten, they're discounted, or occasionally remembered on their annual local service weekend and then quickly forgotten again. 
Even though they're shunned by the church folk, they will climb a tree in the middle of a town to get a glimpse of a real, authentic Christian. The authentic disciple is an anomaly to the lost ones. And the disciple of Christ, is a, their main goal is to live like Jesus. To live unexpected, counterculturally, constantly serving and giving themselves away. Especially when it's inconvenient to do so. A disciple is a person who has stepped beyond just agreeing with the Bible into action. They have committed to do rather than just believe and agree. They go. And I think many of us would find ourselves sort of in the middle between these church folks and these disciples. Myself, I'm definitely a recovering church folk. I know where I am. And the transition from lost one to disciple is incredibly costly. Because you see, salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. And this transition cannot be accomplished alone. This is why the community exists. This is why when Christ left, he left a group of people that they would grow together and they would bring their struggles together and they would carry one another. This very beautiful thing is actually symbolized in Christ's walk to death where he is carrying the cross, but he can't carry it anymore. So somebody else comes and helps him with his burden. We are meant to walk together through this life and through these struggles. And when we don't, to me, that's a sign that we just, we're not living in such a way that requires it. When we shun community and when we try to do things alone, to me, and I know this from personal experience, it's a a sign that we don't actually need community because we're not living the way that God called us to live. If we were living this way, if we were putting him above all things and making his will ours, we would need so much help it would be pathetic. We would constantly be calling on our friends and our community to help us and to walk through it. But when we don't, it's a sign that we're just not living in such a way that requires it. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. You see, Jesus doesn't just ask us to agree with what he's saying. He doesn't say, look at all these things and just let me know if you're cool with it. He says, look at all these things and do all these things. He doesn't say agree, he says act. And there is a grand canyon of difference between agreeing with someone and acting like someone. And Jesus says, act like me. He doesn't say agree with me. He wants us to act like him. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. Discipleship means a rejection of the old values on which our lives were based, taking up a new commitment to Jesus' values. We all have identities. We all have things that we would call ourselves. We all have things that if they were taken away from us would wreck us. Maybe we are successful businessmen. And if tomorrow your business went out of business, you'd have nothing. Your identity would be gone. Maybe we're social leaders. Maybe we like to activate people and we like to organize things. And if that was taken away from us, what would we have? Maybe we have a popular personality or we identify ourselves as being a good husband or a good father. You understand every single one of these things can be gone in a second? Just gone. If our identity is found in these temporary things that have no permanence, then you're building your house on the sand. 
the foundation that God asks us to build our identity on is him, in a relationship with him. Because what you're not wanting, what you don't want to happen is standing in that line in heaven and you walk up and he's like, all right, what's your name? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm Annette. Okay, well, tell me a little about yourself. Well, I, I prophesied in his name. I, I healed some people. I, I did some things like this. And they're like, you're not on the list. You didn't know him. I'm, I'm paraphrasing some scripture, but this is a fear that honestly, it should dwell in your heart. This is a fear that should exist. When we talk about fearing God, this is where this comes from. Fearing not being in relationship with him. Not the consequences, but not being in relationship with him. Because guys, I'm telling you, a relationship with Jesus, an identity based on that is one that cannot be shaken. It cannot be disappointing. It guides you into places that you never thought possible. You have dreams for your life. You have aspirations. God says, that's funny. How about you do what I've got for you? Because it's 10,000 times better. How about you follow what I've got laid out for you? Put your identity in me, and I will take you places you didn't think possible. Do you think that Peter, when Jesus came up to him and said, follow me, ever considered the possibility that he was going to walk on water? Do you think he did that saying, this could be kind of cool. I could probably, you know, maybe fly, maybe walk on water. I might get to see Elijah on a mountain. I'm definitely going to follow this guy. No. He followed him because he saw something in that guy that said, whoa, this dude's different. I need what he's got. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. For Zacchaeus and the rich ruler, it was wealth and the prestige that came with it. That's where their identity lay. And Jesus asked the rich ruler to give it up, and he walked away. Jesus sat with Zacchaeus, and he gave everything away. Whatever that thing that is so important to you that if you lost it, it would wreck you, that's the cost of being a disciple. Whatever it is about yourself that you just can't part with, that's what God wants from you. That's what God wants you to lay down. That's what God says, this is keeping you from what I have for you. Salvation is super free. Discipleship is costly. And you see, it doesn't mean that you will stop being those things. If your identity is found in being a good father, it does not mean that God is going to take your children away. If you lay that down, all it means is that it will stop being how you identify yourself. It stops being that important to you and becomes far more important is the relationship that God asks of you. He calls us the bride of Christ. And if you only spend a couple minutes with him a week, how's that marriage going? If the only time that you interact with Jesus is on Sunday, think about if that's all you did with your wife. Just the one day is good. The one phone call, the one couple hours, and I'm done, and I'm going to go back and live my life. You go do what you're going to do, and I'll see you back here next week. That's not a relationship. That's barely an acquaintance. Jesus wants intimacy. He wants connection. This is the cost of being a disciple, filtering everything that we do through this lens of does this please my God? Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. If the band wants to come up, I'm going to close this out here in just a second. 
What is more important to you than a life lived according to God's will? What is holding you back? Search your heart for this answer because it might not just pop up. Will you give up what is most important to you in exchange for what is important to him? Because you see, in this room, all three of these categories, church folk in here, they're in here. We got lost ones in here, and we got disciples in here. We got them all. In this room, all three categories are accounted for, and so lost ones, let me talk to you. Salvation awaits you. Salvation is free. You can have this right now. You can have this free gift of entering into the relationship of your life, the, the connection with God, the Father, the Creator, the one that gave you the breath you're breathing, the one that built you out of mud and clay, the one that says, you are mine, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The relationship that is there is connect, it's waiting, and it's free. And the path that you are leading, being led down after that is one that you will never want to turn away from. Church folk, you have the gift. You have salvation. It's time now to lay yourselves down. If all we are interested in is the salvation aspect of the relationship with God, then we are a room of infants. We're a room of spiritual infants because all we've done is taken that first step. In baptism, we are seeing a new person come out of there. A new life being born again. And if that's the last step you took toward Christ, then you are a spiritual infant. Let's not live that way. Let's move forward. Let's push on. Let's find out what else we can give up, what else we can lay down, what else we can say, God, this is yours, not mine anyway. Take it from me. That's the path of a disciple. The path of a disciple is not one where we gain prestige and we gain honor and we gain glory. The path of a disciple is where we become dishonored, where we get persecuted, where we get messed with, where we lose things. And every time we do, we line back into God's arms and says, I've got you, let's move forward. I've got you, let's move forward. It's where we have to read Scripture and agree with it, yes, but then take action where we have to see what Scripture says and then go and do and recognize how hard it's going to be and how impossible it's going to feel because God has asked you to do impossible things so you will rely on him to get them done. He has not asked you to live a life of leisure or comfort. He's asked you to live a life of constant sacrifice. This is what we have to do. In your seats, at these altar rails, Lay down your identity. Let it go. It's temporary. It's shifting sand anyway. Take up an identity of the name of Jesus. Move from agreement to action. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly.